Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have, Father, just to come in here. Lord, and spend time with you. Lord, to come in here. Lord, and to learn and to grow in you, Father. So, Lord, that's what we ask this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way in this place. Lord, that it wouldn't be anything of man, Lord, but your spirit would be prevalent. And Lord, it would be working in our service this morning. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. Get some of this stuff out of the way, and we'll get going. So, title of my message this morning is Uncomplicated. How many of you in here like when things are simple? Anybody besides me? Does anybody just like things to be complicated? I don't think anybody comes into a situation and says, man, I hope this thing's just really complicated, right? We don't want that. Makes me think of this week, I was at a guy's house picking up some lumber. He has a sawmill, and he has a skid steer with forks on it that usually he picks the lumber up and goes and loads it on your trailer. Johnny knows full well. Him and I were together yesterday um, doing this, and this guy's skid steer has broke down. And so when I got there yesterday, I'd been there a couple weeks ago and it was broke down. I got there yesterday kind of with my fingers crossed, like, man, I hope he's got this thing fixed, you know. Because how many know it's a lot easier to just pick it up with a machine and take it to a trailer and dump it on the trailer than it is to have to load it. So I'm thinking, I hope so. I get there and he's like, nope. He's like, still haven't got it working. I can't figure out what's going on with it. But he says, I got my old tractor and he said, we can, I've got some forks on it, and we can pick it up and take it to the trailer at least, you know, and hand unload it. won't be quite as easy, but it's better. But it made me think about this because here he has this really nice piece of equipment that would work great. I mean, it would be awesome. I would enjoy it, and he would enjoy it. But it's not working because it has some kind of electrical issue. But he goes and gets on this 1950-something Fordson tractor. And whenever he pulls up to where I'm at, he turns it back off and he says, you know, I've had this thing for decades. He said, and it has never let me down. Every time I come out here, he said, all you do is turn that key right there and it cranks. Never let me down. He said, I guess it's because it's so simple. There's not anything like on that skid steer to, to mess up. It's simple. And so... I agree that sometimes things are better when they're simple. I like old cars. I always have liked old cars. I like them because they're simple. I mean, you can look at an old car, and if it's not running, usually it's one of three things. It's either air, fuel, or fire. If it has those three things, it'll run. So I, I enjoy the simplicity of, of old cars. But how many know that life sometimes is not simple? Can anybody agree to that? Has anybody ran into a situation in the last year that is complicated? Has anybody had a situation in the last week that's complicated? Did anybody have a ride to church with your spouse and family that was complicated? Okay, we all face situations that are complicated. You know, if you go on Facebook, which I got back on Facebook a few months ago with my wife, and I saw it again, and it just it makes me laugh. But whenever you go under the relationship statuses of Facebook, all the myriad of different things that you can put there, some is, you know, married, single, divorced, widowed. But my favorite one of all is it's, it's complicated. That's right. And 
you kind of think, what in the world does that even mean? It's complicated. Sometimes I think it's probably like a 16-year-old boy, you know, maybe a freshman in high school that's like, it's complicated because she's a senior and she doesn't know I exist, but we're soulmates. Just trust me, you know. We, that's how it's complicated translates to me. But there's a lot of relationships that are complicated, a lot of, of families that are complicated. Uh, for instance, I found this. Consider the marriage mayhem created when 76-year-old Bill Barker of London recently wed Edna Harvey. She happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. Okay, that's where the confusion begins. According to Baker's granddaughter, Lynn, my mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my stepfather-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law, and my brother is my nephew. But even crazier is that now I'm married to my uncle, and my own children are my cousins. Okay, so that's a complicated family situation, is it not? I mean, hopefully nobody in here has a family situation that's quite that complicated. But the fact is, we all run into things in life that are complicated. So, like I said, the title of this morning's message is not complicated, it's uncomplicated. So, I want to talk about how relationships are complicated, but I want to talk about the most important relationship that you and I can ever have. It's not between us and our kids, it's not between us and our coworkers or our boss, it's not even between us and our spouse, although that is a very important relationship. The most important relationship any of us can ever have is the relationship between us and the Father, us and Jesus Christ. So if you'd turn with me to John um, chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. It's a little passage of Scripture a lot of us have already heard, but it really defines the relationship that we should have between us, Jesus, and the Father. So this is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, Pretty, pretty common section of scripture here, but I think Jesus was the master illustrator. I mean, as you read through the word, as you read through the gospel, Jesus always kind of had to break it down for people. He couldn't just like say this profound statement, 
because most of them are going, duh, I don't get it, you know? And, and a lot of times I'm there. So Jesus is walking along, I think, and, and, and he tells this story and, and trying to get them to understand this relationship. And he, he walks, he walks by a vineyard and, and he looks, looks at this vineyard and, uh, sees these, these big, beautiful vines with grapes. And if, if you know anything about a grapevine, there's one big vine that comes up, and then there's a lattice or some kind of, of um, device that, that these branches can run out on. And sometimes you have one vine that's huge, and they say that, that branches can go 40, 60, sometimes even 100 feet out from the vine. So it might be a 50 foot this way and 50 foot this way, but it's all connected to the source of life, which is the vine. So Jesus walking besides this, and he's like, man, this is a good opportunity to uh, simplify what I'm talking about here. So this morning I went out, and, and I broke this branch off, and it was by this persimmon tree that's just here behind the church. And so how many think that if all of us got together in this room and we decided you know what i really want to see this branch have a persimmon on it you know i want to see it bear some fruit and we thought okay maybe if we all just really concentrated hard on it you know and and, and just put our energy towards making this branch produce an apple that we could get an apple on here, or apple, a persimmon. It's a persimmon branch. How, how could we get a, a persimmon on here? Could we do it? There's no way. We might be able to, like, find a persimmon somewhere and try to tape it on. We might, you know, glue it on and make it look like it. But the truth of the matter is this thing has been broken from its source of life, which was that tree. The source of it producing fruit, which was that tree. So no matter how hard we try, even if we fake it, and put a piece of persimmon on there and tape it on, eventually what's going to happen? It's going to wither. It's going to become just this dead-looking stick. I mean, all these leaves will wither away. They'll fall off. Even the, the fruit that we had taped on it would probably rot and fall off. There would be nothing good about it besides just being a stick. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, listen, if you abide in me, it's the source of life. you got to stay connected in order to bear fruit. How many know God has put us on this earth for a purpose, and that is to bear fruit? I mean, that is his, his plan um, for our lives, is, is to, to be people that bear fruit. Um, so we, we can see the importance of being connected to the vine. Because there's no way we could do that. And in the same way, there's no way we could put a persimmon on that branch. There is no possible way that any of us can bear fruit for Jesus Christ unless we have this relationship figured out that he is the vine. He is the source of life. And, and we are the branches. It makes me think of a story when I was younger. I had a friend that had an apple orchard. His parents had an apple orchard. And we were, we were playing in there. And... We had this game where one of us would ride the lawnmower. You got We're like 12 here, so maybe 10. I don't know, something like that. So we're riding the lawnmower, and in the fall, after all the apples produced, um, there would be a lot of apples laying on the ground. Some of them, most of them on the ground that weren't picked, become rotten. So our game was, 
I don't know what we were playing, but we would drive this lawnmower. One person and the other one would have the opportunity to grab these rotten apples and try to bean the one driving with, with rotten apples. And they smell great, you know. So I was driving, and my friend Brad, you know, was throwing these, these apples at me. And in the midst of the mayhem of me driving so good and dodging all these apples, I actually ran the, the big lawnmower into one of the apple trees fairly abruptly. And so it ended up, not right away, but eventually down the road, uh, we actually had already moved, and my friend Brad had called me, and he said, hey, you remember that apple tree that you hit? I'm like, uh, vaguely, you know? Yeah, yeah, I remember it. He said, it died. Turns out it died. And I guess what had happened, I'd hit that tree so hard, it had broken it inside, and that tree no longer produced any fruit, and it ended up withering and dying because it was disconnected from its source of life, which was the roots that went down deep into the soil. So... In the same way, we have to make sure that we have a relationship with Christ, a relationship with Jesus, that we realize that anything good that can come out of our lives has to be connected to the vine. It says there that whenever you become disconnected, you dry up, they gather sticks, and they throw them in the fire. That's something we've probably all done from time to time. When things, branches fall out of the tree, we gather them up, we throw them in the fire. So it is so important that we realize how to be in this connected relationship with Jesus. So the word here that, that really jumped out at me, because it was used so many times in this verse, is the word abide. The word abide. We've probably always heard this word, and, and today I want to just talk a little bit about the word abide. So the meaning of the word abide is to accept or to act, like, or to act in accordance with. So to accept or to act in accordance with. So in other words, if we're going to abide in Christ, we have to accept and we have to act in accordance with. In other words, our lives show that we have accepted this. But the, the key part that I really want to key in today is right there in, in the latter part of that. And it's talking about abiding in Christ's love that you have to abide in my love. And so abiding in his love is key to life. It is our key to life. If we can abide in the love of Jesus Christ, it is the key to us staying connected to the vine. Our branches staying connected to the vine. So it says this in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins." So that's John 4, 7 through 10. And this verse is just describing this relationship that we have with Jesus. This love relationship that we have with Jesus. How we are going to abide in his love. But sometimes I think 
we put the it's complicated tag on our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we feel like our relationship with Jesus is complicated. And we live our lives in a way that, that says it's complicated, like I'm here, but he doesn't really know I exist. Has anybody ever felt that way? Because I have. And, and we find ourselves putting ourselves in this place where we think it's so complicated to have a relationship with Christ. I found myself here lots of times. And I really think that there's two ways in which we do this. And kind of two sides of the same coin, maybe. The first is the unbelieving side. This is maybe happens more to, uh, to people that have never come to know Christ. Has anybody ever heard somebody say, Christ can't love me, Jesus can't love me, God can't love me. If, he, if you knew what I've done, if you've known all the mess-ups that I've, I've done, you would realize that I'm beyond his love. He couldn't love such a mess that I am. Some of us might have been in that situation at a time in our lives where we just felt like we were so disgusting in our sin, in the world, that Christ could never love us. But luckily, it says in Romans 8, uh, but, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we got ourselves cleaned up and everything was good, then Christ came and died for us, right? No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say, you know, whenever we are doing better, not so bad, then Christ came and died for us. Is that what it says? No, it says that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost in this world, Christ came and died for us. That was his demonstration of love for us. So there is no way that anybody can ever walk so far into the world that they could separate themselves from how much Christ loves them. He loves them still. Before they, before they ask for forgiveness, anything, Christ has a love for them that is unbelievable. So that's the first way. The second way, and this is the way I feel most of us, maybe as believers, as the church, fall into sometimes, is the performance-driven side. So you say, what do you mean? It means that as Christians, so often we come into a place where we're saying, man, if I can just get it together. You know, Lord, this week I'm really, I'm really going to read my word. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Great things. But, and, then, and we try to build up this, this feeling of, oh, I've done good. I've done good. Now Jesus really loves me, and I can come to him boldly this morning because, because I know he loves me. You know, that's, we, we try to performance-driven. I mean, that's how the world thinks is performance-driven. If you want to be accepted, if you want somebody to think you're doing good, it's based on what you've done. It's based on how you live. So if I want to be loved at work, then I better be the best employee, you know, nice to everybody, you know, work hard, do my work, help other people do work, then people will love me. That's how we think. That's just not how God's love operates. See, the problem is, is whenever we put a performance-driven lifestyle to earn God's love in our daily lives, the problem with that is whenever we fall short, we run into trouble. I don't know about you guys, but there has been times in my life things aren't so smooth. Things aren't going so good. It might have been two weeks since I've even seen my Bible. 
It might have been, you know, a month since I've been in time with just me and the Lord in prayer. And you, you find yourself in sin and messing up and you get to this place where you're going, I can't even talk to God. He wouldn't want to talk to me right now anyway. Look at a mess I am. Look what I've done. Look what I said to my wife. God doesn't love me anymore because of that. I can't come to him anymore until I get this straight, until I can, until I can fix my life in a way that I look pleasing to him again. I, I just can't approach him. We do that to ourselves because we, we fall in this performance-driven love. So where I, I think maybe where we get it messed up, going back to, to our original text, is in, in John 15, verse 10. See, it says, let me find it again. I thought I put it there. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. So I think maybe what, what we sometimes interpret that is if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. That's how we interpretate that section of Scripture. It's that if I keep His commandments, if I can do enough good, if I can you know, read my Bible, pray, serve in the church enough, then God's really going to love me. His love's going to be so good for me. But it's just not true. And if we live our lives in that manner, we're always going to find ourselves coming up short. We're always going to find ourselves feeling deficient in the love that Christ has for us. Because it's not, if, I keep, if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. He's saying, if, if you will abide in my love, you will keep my commandments. And there's a difference. So abide again, the meaning is to accept or to act in accordance with. So he's not saying, keep my commandments to prove that you love me and then I'll love you. He's saying, listen, if you'll live a life that you know and you abide, that you accept and you act like I love you, then you're going to keep my commandments. That's what he's trying to tell us. So going on in John 4, 11 through 19, it, it continues and says, Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. But this we know, that we abide in him and he in us, because he gave us, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfected love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So it's saying, if we can figure out how to abide, how to walk in accordance with, how to accept his love, it casts out all of our fear. 
it casts out those, those times in our life that we feel like, man, I just don't feel very loved by God. I just don't feel Him in my life right now. And there's no doubt that the Word tells us that sin separates us from God. And so whenever we're walking in sin, obviously we have chosen to step outside of the will of God for our lives. But the fact of the matter is, His love never changes. You can't do anything. There's nothing you can do, and there's nothing that you cannot do to earn the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. You can't earn it. It is something that is a free gift that, that Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross to save us. And that is what true love is. I think it's right after this passage in John 4 when it says, No greater love has anyone that he lays life down for a friend. That is indeed what Christ has come. He's shown us perfect love that he, he chose to leave the place he was in, which is heaven, come to earth as a man, and then to give his life sacrificially for us. That is true love. So we, there's just nothing that we can do to earn Christ's love. We can try, but we will always fail. But the fact of the matter is sometimes we just don't feel loved by God. I've been there where I just feel like, where are you, Lord? You know, do you see what I'm going through? I need, I need some love right now. I need you. Um, one thing that uh, my dad has always done, Pastor Rick, he has had this saying, and I don't know if he tells this to everybody. He might be I'm like, don't tell everybody. But he's always said this. He says, I act like people love me whether they do or don't. You know? And he kind of always had this ability that even if people didn't like him, he was determined he was going to make people love him. And he acted like they already loved him. And so he always went up to him, even if he knew they weren't his biggest fan, and he loved on them and he treated them like they just thought he was the, you know, best thing since sliced bread. You know, that he just acted like it. And sometimes I think that's where we need to be in our lives. Even in the times that that we feel like we're down and that, that Christ is not loving on us. We even kind of wonder, Lord, do you love me right now? We have to act like he loves us, whether we feel it or not, because the truth is he does. He does love us. Um, how many know that the Bible says, you know, faith without works is dead, right? That's James, I believe. It says, faith without works isn't dead. And indeed, we read in the beginning of this message in, in John 15, where he's talking about, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Anybody that does not bear fruit, what happens? He gets cut off. He withers. He dies. He gets thrown into the fire. So we know, indeed, that there is something there in that relationship that says, we need to be doing something. But that has nothing to do with Christ loving us. But this is what it does have to do with. Love is the most powerful motivator there is in the world. Most powerful. Has anybody ever done anything or been motivated to do anything out of love? Yeah? I mean, come on, guys. Were we crazy whenever we met our spouses? Absolutely. I, I, I was very fortunate to, uh, 
to have Jalen as a spouse. You know, when we started dating, there wasn't a whole lot of complications because we had known each other for so long. We had, our families had been friends before we were born. And so there wasn't a whole lot on our first date that I was going to hide from her, you know? There, it wasn't real complicated because I couldn't go in there and tell her some story about how great I was because she knew who I was. And so it was just grace and benevolence that she decided to go on a date with me anyway. So we, we just kind of came to a place where we were super honest with each other from our first date on because we didn't want it to be complicated. I can remember on our way home, believe it or not, we both cried on our first date. And, I, and it wasn't out of like, this is horrible. But we just, we were so open with each other about the way we had treated each other in the past or whatever. We were just, it was uncomplicated. It was just simple. And and from that time on, you know, the six weeks that we might have dated or whatever before we got engaged, it was just simple because we were honest and we kept it easy with each other. But when it came to time that I knew I wanted to marry her, well, okay, maybe not then. But when I figured I'd waited long enough that it wouldn't be totally weird to ask her to marry me, um, I ran into a problem. And that was I was a young guy living by myself, working hard, but I was broke, you know? And, and I just didn't have the money I needed because I'm thinking, man, if I'm going to ask her to marry me, and I truly believe that she's who God has for me and she's the love of my life, I better bring it when it comes to having an engagement ring, you know? I don't, I don't want to come and be like, listen, I want you to marry me, and when we save up some money, maybe I can get you something nice. You know, I wanted something. So I wanted to be able to present her with something that showed her just kind of a glimpse of how much I really cared about her. So I had a 1982 Jeep CJ5. And this Jeep I'd bought from an old farm, and it was kind of a piece of junk. And, and for multiple years, I'd worked every weekend and in the evenings um, on this Jeep, you know, I totally redid it. I mean, there was cutting out floorboards, putting new. I painted the thing. It was the first vehicle I ever painted by myself or myself. And Ryan aligned it. I mean, I had this thing where I loved it. Some of you might remember it. I had this, it was bright orange Jeep. And so when it came time and I knew I wanted to marry her, there was this idea I had. I'm like, I know what I can do. I can get rid of that Jeep. Because guess what? That Jeep meant nothing to me compared to how much I love my future wife. And so, you see, it's just like that love is a motivator. Sometimes, you know, we'll go down the road and Jalen and I will be in the car and I'll see a Jeep. I'm like, oh, check out that cool Jeep, you know, because I still like him. I got a, a different one. But it's anyway, she's uh, sometimes she'll go, honey, I'm, I'm sorry you had to sell your Jeep. I'm like, I'm not. That was the biggest excitement of my life, is to be able to sell that, because I was able to buy the ring and ask her to marry me, and indeed us get married. And so love motivated me in a way. One of, one of my family's all-time favorite movies is Rocket Man. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's a silly movie. But it comes to a point in the movie, they're on Mars, and Commander Bill, who's this gruff kind of sergeant of a person, uh, was out in his rover vehicle. I wouldn't. I guess it wouldn't be a lunar rover, a Mars rover. I don't know. Anyway, and a sandstorm kicks up, and they're having to leave, or else they're going to die. And so he's not back. He's not back. And Fred, who's kind of the goof, goof up of the 
of the crew, you know, is like, I'm going after him. So he goes out and he finds Commander Bill and he had flipped this vehicle over on himself and he's pinned underneath it. So it's the classic movie scene, you know, where, where he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. And he tries to lift and he can't do it. And, and Commander Bill's like, no, save yourself. You know, just get back. Take off. Don't stay here and die. And, and Fred says the statement. He says, call me mommy. And Commander Bill's like, what? He's like, call me mommy. And he's like, no, I'm not going to call you mommy. And he says, well, they say that a mother, whenever they see their young in trouble, and they hear them cry that it, it summons supernatural strength and they can lift what ten men can do. And so Commander Bill goes, Mommy. He's like, say it like you mean it, Commander. And so Bill starts crying, Mommy, save me, Mommy. And Indeed, Fred can lift this vehicle up and he gets out and they get saved. But that's just what I'm saying, is that love is a powerful motivator that that keeps us doing what we should be doing for Christ. That's what he's saying when he's saying abide in me. To act like, to accept, to live your life in a way that you know Christ loves you. Um, so I think sometimes when we feel unloved the most, we feel like we're just not connected to the vine, is when we're tired. Has anybody ever been tired in here? Is anybody tired this morning? I mean, I can, I can agree with that. But it's when we're tired. And, and when we're tired, we get to a point where we're like, man, I just feel down. I feel worn out. I feel like nobody cares. I feel like God doesn't care. I feel like God doesn't love me. So, it brings me to my next verse. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. This is Jesus talking. And he says a real profound statement here. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find your rest for your, rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, great passage of Scripture. Love this one. But part of it doesn't make sense. Cody, would you put that, that picture up for me? So, this is a yoke. Some people might not know what it is. I have a feeling that in western North Carolina, in our agricultural roots, all of us know what a yoke is. Amen? Okay, so I'll explain it anyway. So this is a yoke, and it's a tool that is used by mostly farmers to harness two ox together. And so as you can see the loops, heads of oxen go through there, and they put them to either a, a plow or a wagon or something, and it's designed to work. It's a tool. It's designed to work. So here's where I run into to a problem with this scripture. It says, come to me, those who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Awesome, Lord. That's what I need. I need some rest. Lord, I need some rest, you know? Then the very next uh, part of the scripture, he says, take my yoke upon you. How many know that a yoke is not made for rest? He's saying, come, I'll give you rest. Take this yoke and get working. That's what it sounds like, right? So 
we're going to dive into this a little bit and figure it out. So this wooden frame that's meant for work. And so looking into how they used ox in, in the yoke in the day, um, they would put two animals side by side, each in one of those loops, because they needed to work, right? They needed them to do a, a task. Um, so typically, a trained ox could pull about 5,000 pounds, okay? Pretty awesome. So if you had this big, beefy, well-taken-care-of ox that knew what he was doing, he could pull 5,000 pounds. But most of the time, a lot of the times, they would take a young ox and an old ox or a mature ox, and they would yoke them together. They'd put them on each side of this thing. And, and whenever they would do that, a young ox could, could uh, usually pull about 2,000 pounds by itself. So 5,000 for the mature ox, 2,000 pounds for the immature ox. But when they would yoke them together, they could usually pull about 10,000 pounds, which is pretty awesome. And so what they would do with this young ox is he'd be harnessed to this other one, and that old-timer would show him how it was done. Can some old-timers say amen? Okay, so... Uh, so he, he would learn from this old ox. And obviously, this older ox, the mature one, is doing the majority of the work. And the young one's just going, okay, I get it. I'll walk this way. Okay, I'll get it. I'll pull this much. You know, But his burden was much lighter and much easier than the old ox. So I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying, listen, young ox, hook up with me for a while. You know, get in this yoke with me and I'll show you how to work. I'll show you how it's done because whenever you're on the other side of the yoke with me, it's easy. It's light. You can do it. But the cool thing is, is whenever our ox begins to mature and learn, the two ox together could then pull upwards of fifteen to 20,000 pounds. Whenever he knows, I know this way this old ox is going. I know when to pull hard. I know when to turn left. I know when to turn right. And that's what Jesus is desiring for each one of our lives, is that we be yoked to him till we're going, oh, Jesus, I know how you're walking. Jesus, I know what you want me to do. Jesus, I know which way to turn. You know, And he's still guiding us, but we begin to pull more weight. It's because we're maturing in him. So the truth of this is that Jesus does want us to yoke with him. His burden is light. He's going to teach us how to work. Heard this statement. It says, burnout doesn't come from working too hard. It comes from working alone. Working side by side with Jesus gives us the rest in work, not rest from work. That's a good statement. That whenever we yoke ourselves with Jesus, it gives us rest, gives us love while we're in the work instead of trying to do it on our own and just getting burnt out. It's not a rest from work because Christ has called us to bear fruit. That's what we read in the beginning of this, of this sermon is that we're called to bear fruit, but we can't do it alone. When we go alone, that's when we feel unloved. That's when we feel tired, but we have to begin to yoke ourselves to the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to abide in his love. That's just the matter of it. He wants us to accept and act accordingly of his love. Jared, if, if you could 
you could come and, and help me finish this. I know you guys have heard this before, but Billy Graham wrote this about Dr. Karl Barth. Um, I think he was from Switzerland, if I'm not mistaken. But this guy was like a brain and, you know, theologically could just probably blow all of our minds. And so he was at a, a university and, and some students had gotten around and, and asked him, what is the most profound truth that you've ever come across in Scripture? You know, what is the most profound thing you've ever known about the Lord? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Simple, guys. It's uncomplicated. And that's why, even though we try to complicate it sometimes, the truth of the matter is that God's love is so uncomplicated. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is live knowing it. That same verse in Matthew 28 through 30, this is the message version. And it, it just ministered to me this week. And it says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll, re and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's what I want. I want to be able to live freely and lightly, that I'm not weighed down by the burdens that this world so often tries to put on our shoulders, but we can just say, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to yoke myself with you. I just I love that those few words. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace that we can walk in His grace, that they're not forced upon us, but they're freely given to us. We can walk in that grace. This last week, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I was having a, a tough day, and I probably had an attitude that was not so great to my family, and it was just a tough day. And I was here at church working. I was honestly trying to put this sermon together, and it just felt like I was hitting a brick wall. So I just took some time. I said, Lord, I know I just need to get in your presence. And so I came down here and I put on some music um, from my phone. And my wife makes these uh, playlists for our daughter and our son. Um, we call them sleepy time worship. So anyway, we just take songs that we hear, you know, while we're listening to music and, and we put them on it for them at night and it plays while they sleep. So I just picked one of those playlists, you know, not thinking about it. And I played it and came down here and the first song played and I really was just complaining to God. That's what I was doing. And then the second song came in and it was a song I'd never heard before. And I honestly believe God had it ordained for me to hear it at that time because I needed it. Um, but the name of this song was called Uncomplicated. And it's a new song that just came out. That's why I'd never heard it before. She had just put it on the playlist. But this is, this is basically this is what it says. It says, there's simplicity, a humility to the way you love me, an honesty, a purity. God, you make it easy. No special words or formulas could ever win you over, for your love is undeserved. Even when I can't see clearly, somehow you still make it easy. Your love is uncomplicated. You love me just the way I am. So I stand before you. I'm totally surrendered. 
with open hands and open hearts, Jesus, have your way in me. It's uncomplicated, guys. When we just come to a place where we freely and openly say, Lord, thank you that you love me, that I didn't do anything to deserve it. Lord, I can't perform to earn it, but Lord, you love me. Before the foundations of this earth, Lord, you loved me. You knew who I was going to be. You created me, and you love me just the way I am. It's a profound thing, guys, just to accept the love that Jesus has for you and to live in it, to walk accordingly with it, to live your life knowing, to have it so concreted in your soul that whenever the days come that stink, the days come where you feel unloved, that you know, no, I am not unloved. There is a God out there that created the universe who loves me deeper than I can ever, ever imagine. This is Ephesians 3, 16 through 18. It's Paul in a prayer he prayed over him. And I just thought it was... Uh, Perfect for the end of this service. It says, I pray that out of the gracious gracious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to measure of all the fullness of God. Guys, if there's one thing I could ever made known with my life, made known to anybody in this world and everybody in this world, it's how much God loves them. If you guys would bow your heads with me this morning, I just wonder... Is there anybody in here that could agree with me that we go through times in life that we feel unloved and you might be going through that time right now? You might be a time that you feel like there's nobody there for you. Your life might be uncomplicated or your life might be complicated, but know that Christ's love is uncomplicated. If that's you this morning, you're saying, listen, I just... I need that. I need to know that Jesus loves me no matter where I am, no matter what I've done, no matter the mess I've made of my life, that I'm not going to try to earn it anymore, that I'm not going to try to perform in order to to get approval through his love, that I know that he loves me. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to just pray over you this morning. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you showed us what love was by sending your son to this earth and dying for us, Father. Lord, I just pray this morning that the richness of your love would begin to dwell in our hearts, Father. Lord, that we would understand how wonderful it is, Lord. Lord, your word says that 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 we can understand how wide, how deep, how high, how far. Lord, that's, that's what we need to know, Lord. Lord, even though it's unfathomable, Lord, let us see more clearly how big it is, Father. 
Lord, I just pray for these hands that were lifted this morning, Father. I pray that you would just sit down and wrap your loving arms around them, Father, that they can walk from this day forward with that insurance, assurance that they are abiding in your love, Father. Lord, and that through that, our fruit would begin to grow, Father. Lord, as it as you pour your love into us, that it would begin to overflow and we would be people that love to the community around us, Father. Lord, let us be people that are marked by love, Father. Lord, that's what your word says, that men will know that we're your disciples whenever we love each other, Father. So let us be people that love. Lord, that we don't believe the lies of the enemy anymore, but that we know without a shadow of a doubt that there is a creator God who loves us immeasurably, Lord. We thank you for this. Lord, I pray as we go through this week and we leave this place, that we'd be people of love. We thank you. We praise you for your love and goodness, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, God loves you. And that's it.